0: All right, good morning. It's been a while since I've been over here and had an opportunity to uh, to preach in this service, and I'm grateful for that opportunity as we continue in this Easter season. We had a great Sunday around this place last Sunday when you count the sunrise service, and we count the sunrise service. We had over 1,400 folks around, and a terrific day. And uh, Dr. Lewis Jackson spoke for us at the sunrise service. If you weren't there, that was excellent great way to start the day thank you for that and uh, thank you all thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for being here today thank you the scripture lesson picks up where we left off in a sense last week I know last week I preached from Luke's gospel and all the gospel writers tell this story a little differently but John's gospel is is always one of my favorites when it comes to uh, comes to the Easter season and the Easter season continues for the great 50 days until the day of Pentecost. And that's, I believe, June the ninth this year. So we need to keep this resurrection theme going at least through the Easter season. But the truth is it needs to be the theme of our lives every day of our lives. And uh, we need to remember that he lives and because he does, we shall as well. Let me pick up uh, with verse 19, John chapter 20 and verse 19 and read until the end of the chapter. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, or the Jewish authorities, as some translations read, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side I will not believe. A week later his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I want you to use your imagination with me for just a moment if you will. Imagine this is a classroom and that I am a teacher of sorts up here. And so let me move into the material like that. Okay, so the bell's rung. It's time to get started. It's time to quit talking to the person behind you and don't worry about the folks sitting next to you. Pay no attention to what your neighbors in front of you are doing and uh, don't get caught sticking your gum under the chair we don't approve of that here you might spend the rest of your life in detention and I realize how difficult these classes are right before lunch sometimes it's hard to hear what's being said because our stomachs are growling so loud both feet on the floor stop watching the clock as they used to tell me time will pass will you Okay, today we're going to focus on a word, and the word we're going to focus on is the U word, and the U word for us is unless. U-N-L-E-S-S, unless, and Brother Webster defines it like this, in any case other than that. In any case other than that. And we use the word in so many different ways. We use it as a warning, as a beginning of a sentence that speaks of a warning. Unless you pick up those clothes before you go to bed. Unless you quit your drinking. Unless you start doing your part around here. Unless that GPA comes up to at least a 2.5. Unless you withdraw your forces back across the border. And sometimes we use the word despairingly. Unless the interest rates go up or down. Unless the fever breaks by morning. Unless she starts getting in before two in the morning. Unless the Braves find some help for the bullpen. Unless that husband of mine begins to watch what he's eating and exercises a little bit more. Sometimes it's an expression of hope. Unless the blood count drops again, we'll be able to send her home tomorrow. Unless the computer has a serious glitch, I'll have all that work you've asked for on your desk in the morning. Unless the weather turns nasty, the game will start on schedule. Unless the truck is delayed, the shipment will be here in the morning. Unless something totally unforeseen occurs. Sometimes it's a word of criticism and judgment. Unless you're more careful about who you're seen with. Unless you're more careful about how you keep your house and your yard and your car and on and on. Unless you're more careful about the way you dress. Unless you speak in tongues, unless you've been immersed, unless you read from the King James Version. And sometimes it's a word that indicates doubt, unless I experience it for myself unless I hear it with these ears, unless I touch it with these hands, unless I see it with these eyes, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. The gospel lesson. Some scholars say this might be the original ending to John's gospel. Chapter 21 may have come later. So its meaning and message is especially important. The unimaginable terror of the crucifixion and all the horror that that had brought about, so unexpected in so many ways, it's weighing heavy on the hearts of the disciples, the followers of Jesus. The rumor of resurrection, she had only a whispered possibility, and that comes from a frail woman, one woman, Evening falls on that first day of the week, on that Sunday, And the disciples are behind locked doors. They're afraid. They might be next. And into the midst of this pathetic, huddled remnant, Jesus appears. And his first words to the disciples is a familiar word, peace. Familiar and comforting. And apparently Jesus was standing before these disciples in some kind of easily recognizable form. Not like in the garden in the cemetery that morning when he appeared to Mary Magdalene. And it was dark and it was foggy and and he still, well she wasn't sure who he was. Until he spoke her name. And in John's gospel, Jesus offers this first Post resurrection appearance to his disciples to offer a twofold gift. He's got a couple of things in mind for him. The first is the assurance of his abiding presence. This downhearted, brokenhearted, despairing, distraught group of folks who've had their hopes shattered. And he said, You have my peace, you have the assurance of my presence. Story's not over. We've got an unimaginable, wonderful ride ahead of us. And his second gift to the disciples, a new agenda for their faith, a new outlook on their life. Everything has changed. He's given his disciples not just a short-term missionary task, but a lifetime commission. He's setting all these things out before him. So I send you, he said. As God had breathed life Into creation at the beginning of everything. So I breathe my spirit into you. When breath and spirit. Those words are used interchangeably in scripture often. So I breathe my spirit into you. The gift of the Holy Spirit. You're ready to go out and and to keep this thing going. And then there's that story of Thomas. Thomas. Known as Doubting Thomas. Thomas. There was more to him than that, and we're going to talk about that. You remember, he's the one when Jesus was talking about going into Jerusalem when Lazarus had died. And they said, no, no, you can't go up there. It's too dangerous. And, and Thomas was the one who said, we're going with him. Even if we die, we're going with him. So I've thought about that a lot, how sometimes one mistake, one story in our life, and we get labeled or we get painted with that broad brush and there's more to us than that there's more to our faith than that there's more to our life so thomas comes into the story thomas is the one who invoked the u word unless i see unless i touch i won't believe and usually thomas is sort of yanked out of the disciples lineup. He's zeroed in on, there's a target on his back. Here's the one of flimsy, faltering faith, Thomas. But there's good reason to believe that Thomas is more than just the only one who is doubting. He's a representative of the whole group. They're all struggling at this point. And Before you jump too far ahead, this is not just, I hope it's not just another throw Thomas under the church bus kind of sermon because I think there's more to it than that. In each of the other three Gospels, this same note of hesitancy is sounded by all of the believers. They're not sure what's next. Luke tells that incredible story about the walk to Emmaus. And the despair and the disappointment, we had hoped that he was the one. They still had not gotten it yet. It was still fresh and it was still new and they couldn't look back on it like we can. So John sort of picks Thomas out to become the focal point of the doubt. But there's more to it than that. It's likely, it seems to me anyway, that John chose Thomas as a representative for that spirit of unbelief that infiltrated the early days of the church. That uncertainty that characterized so much of who they were. His insistent demand that unless I see, unless I touch those gruesome wounds in his flesh, his doubts given full reign here, it seems like. Thomas might be better understood as this gospel's picture of doubters. Folks who want to see, who want to touch, who have to have physical evidence of everything. And I didn't mean to go off here, but let me go off here for just a minute. This whole thing that was so talked about a few years back, the Shroud of Turin, and it was almost like if we just had something physical that we could see and touch, then we would know if we had that kind of a sign. But what does that say about our faith? It doesn't always work that way. There's a mysterious element involved always. But despite his image, as the chief doubter, Thomas has a positive image here. Consider his very presence. Absent at the moment of Jesus' first appearance, he's there the next week when Jesus shows up again. He's not going to miss that. He's heard about all of it. And think how left out he must have felt. (laughs) Jesus breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. You are empowered now. You have what you need to go out and to take this gospel to the world. And Thomas, thinking, I missed all that. For whatever reason, who knows where he was. I've preached on this passage before and talked about what you miss out on when you stay away from church. But that's a story for another day, maybe. Thomas, despite his new role as an outsider, does not give up. Those real deep down doubts. But he remains a part of the faith community. He comes back. And even when we have our times of doubt and struggle and are not sure, not sure about all of it. And if we're honest, I'm honest. I have those moments too. If you remember a few years back, maybe it's been a decade or more now when some of the writings and teachings of Mother Teresa came out and it was revealed that she went through some dark nights of the soul. Sometimes when she wasn't sure if it was all real. But she kept doing what God had called her to do. And some folk were ready to just put her aside at that point. Just shut her down. Made me appreciate her even more that she could be honest about those doubts that she struggled with and those fears, and she kept doing the right thing until the faith caught up with it once again. Is it possible to be a doubter? or to have moments of doubt and struggle and still be an active and faithful part of God's church? And I believe it is. Goodness, I hope it is. The other disciples, to their eternal credit, did not throw Thomas out at this point. They did not ostracize him. They did not throw him under the chariot. They tried to convince him of their claim while keeping him in the circle of their love and concern. How do we help folk? How do we love folks into a maturity of faith, into a growth, if we want quickly to put them out of the circle because they don't see it like we see it and they don't understand it maybe like we do? Jesus comes back a week later and he takes Thomas seriously. Doubt is not discounted. It's dealt with honestly and and straightforwardly. Go ahead and touch me is in essence what Jesus says to Thomas, thus affirming his faith. We're not told. Sometimes I wish scripture said more, but we're not told if Jesus, if, Thomas actually touched Jesus. Jesus said, do you see the wounds? We don't know if Thomas just saw or if he actually touched him. Go ahead and touch me. He was invited to do so. There's a place for doubters in the family of faith. Jesus' appearance before Thomas erases all of Thomas's misgivings about the risen Christ. Maybe he didn't need to touch the wounds then. And he blurts out that confession of faith. Maybe the most powerful confession of faith, and all of the scripture, "My Lord and my God," it just like it came up out of him. David Harum, I and I just read about him. I don't—he was a character in a novel that was written in 1898, way before my time. But anyway, he claimed this character claimed, and and you'll see where I'm going in just a minute. I hope he said a reasonable amount of fleas. It's good for a dog. It keeps him from brooding over being a dog. And a guy named Sir Francis Galton, he's an English scientist in the 19th century, wrote, well-washed and well-combed domestic dogs grow dull. They miss the stimulus of fleas. Fleas in our faith. One of my favorite writers is Frederick Biegner, and Frederick Beekner says that doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. Fleas in our faith, ants in the pants of faith, the itches and the twitches that keep our faith alive and growing and cause us to seek for those things we don't understand yet. And to continue to do the right things even when we don't feel it and and understand it. it doesn't mean God's through with us doesn't mean our faith is dead. God's most faithful servants, even in the pages of Scripture, or maybe I should say especially in the pages of Scripture, God's most faithful servants struggle with their doubts and their fears. Abraham was awestruck. And Sarah was hysterical when the angel of the Lord said, you're going to have a child. Jonah's faith was weak. And the doubts were there (laughs) when God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh, wow, capital of the Assyrian Empire. Do you realize, Lord, he was thinking what these Assyrians have done to us? Impaled folks, crucified, beheaded folks. They don't just play around. They are a vicious enemy of your people. Lord, did you say, you want me to go to Nineveh? Despite the fact that they were witnesses to the remarkable powers that Jesus commanded, the disciples still cried out. Remember on the boat when the storms were coming? Cried out in fear when Jesus was peacefully sleeping through the storm. They doubted that he would be able to do anything. And they thought it was over. Luke records that after the resurrection, the same disciples disbelieved for joy. That an interesting expression. Disbelieve for joy. Jesus himself, the essence of faithfulness, the son of the living God, could it be that it was part of the proclamation from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was he doubting God's presence? Was he simply reciting part of the 22nd Psalm? Somebody said a faith that does not doubt is a dead faith. And someone else has said that an unexamined faith is not worth having. Great faith requires great struggle. The early church, I think, found power and strength and help and hope in the, in the image of a debt riddled Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means olive press. His soul was pressed in the garden and they found comfort that let this cup pass from me. Even Jesus at that point maybe some doubts had crept in. Is this the road you would have me to go? Is this the way you want it all to unfold? Oh God. But pressing through. Doing the right thing. Even when the doubts. Are knocking on the door. And they will. They will. True doubts grow out of true faith. Immanuel Kant was a philosopher. That some of you may have read. He warned that doubt. Is a place of rest. Not a permanent. Residence. And I thought about that a lot. Unless. That's okay for a while. But most of us don't want a permanent unless address. That's not where we want to stay. We want to to work through, to push through. It's alright. It's even necessary to raise questions about our faith. Sometimes... That certainty. And we talked about that some in traditional worship a few weeks ago. Gifts of the dark wood. One of the gifts is uncertainty. Sometimes we are so sure we've got it all figured out. And all the pieces of the puzzle are in place. That we shut ourselves off. From any new revelations or new teachings. From the Holy Spirit. We can be too sure. And we can become cocky and arrogant about it. Thomas Voiced his serious doubts about Jesus' miraculous return. But he continued to be a part of the community of faith and the company of faith. Even when he he wasn't sure. You remember when Jesus, it's in Mark 9, 24. Healed the demon-possessed child. You remember what the father in that story said to Jesus. Oh Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my doubt. Faith lives hand in hand with doubt by continuing to worship God, by continuing to pray to God, by continuing to be open to God, even on those days when we're not as sure as we are on other days. Our doubts don't have to plug up our channels to God. In fact, sometimes doubt can unclog those channels and allow our prayers to flow and God's spirit to flow. We can pray like that father in the story and I promise you I prayed this prayer and I bet many of you have too. Oh Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When our doubts are flexing their muscles the most, That's when it's most important that we remain a part of the community of faith. Surrounded by other believers. They can sometimes even pick us up and walk us. Until faith puts our feet back on the ground once again. We need that kind of strength. And like Thomas we can come to realize that unless. Is not a four letter word. Thomas doubt. Did not separate him. From the love of God in Christ Jesus his Lord. Do our doubts have the power to separate us from that same love? I doubt it.